Amazing today, we are looking at the book of Romans, and before we read our text uh, today, uh, let, me, let me say this. Um, you know, there are different views of how you look at history. If you study history uh, books or books of philosophy, of his, history of philosophy, different views of history. Uh, for instance, uh, if you are a secular person or you're a person uh, who believes that there's no real point to history, then the way you live your life is that way, right? I mean, you, you go, there's no real point to it. So we do random acts of kindness. Uh, on the other hand, if, you're, if perhaps you come from a worldview where this more Eastern, where life is cyclical, history cyclical, and therefore how you live your life is in the context of, uh, of reincarnation or the context of life being cyclical. But to understand our text and to understand the book of Romans is that what structures history is the covenant of God. And the reason we call Christianity redemptive history is because man has broken the covenant that God clearly gave. And because of that, we become very uh, dysfunctional people, as they say. Uh, our lives are filled with misery and sin. And, uh, and so, so God in his mercy... Uh, enters into a new covenant, the covenant of grace, through Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And so all of history is revolving around where you stand in relationship to the first Adam or the second Adam. And so this morning, for instance, if you're not a Christian, you're in Adam. And you're not in Christ. And so the book of Romans is trying to explain all that. It's trying to put it all together. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're interested in Christianity, I would encourage you to continue to come uh, so that you can piece together why Christianity, uh, uh, why Christians are committed to, uh, to ministering the gospel. And if you are a Christian, uh, it's important to read the book of Romans because if you get to the point where it's uh, kind of a Christianity is important in your life but it's not the driving force, Jesus Christ's resurrection is not, then you know you're in a dangerous place. Because your creation is for something and your redemption is for a purpose. Okay? So that's where we are today. Uh, we uh, come to our text, Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 18 and following. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness oppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to the impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Because of this God gave them over. To shameful lust, even their women exchanged natural relationships for unnatural ones and in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts and other, with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind 
to do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Let's pray together. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the truths of the Scriptures, to the reality of the coming judgment, and to the reality that Jesus has already been judged on the behalf of those who come to him in faith. He's raised from the dead as a great sign of our justification and that we can become like Jesus as believers. Father, I pray for any who are here today that have never really heard the, the, the gospel. Uh, Lord, indeed, they, 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 they know the lyrics, but there's no music. They, they can't sing. It's off tune. Lord, would you tune them up by giving them your Holy Spirit to believe the greatness of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. There's a, there's a man who lives in the state of Tennessee uh, uh, who I have great respect for. Uh, this man is uh, not a minister, but he's influenced hundreds of, uh, of, of lives. Uh, he influenced uh, my family uh, greatly. Um, some years later, I met his son, and his son uh, was on his way to seminary. And, uh, but as I got to know him at an at a RUF uh, conference, uh, started hearing his story. And uh, he was not always one who was on track to go to seminary. Uh, he was one who actually rebelled greatly against the Lord. About 15 years old, 14 years old, he decided uh, that I'm not, I'm not giving up the intellectual side of Christianity. I still kind of, how can I not believe it? I'm a covenant child, but basically I want to live my own life. And so he began to do what he wanted to do. And so his mother and father who loved him, uh, they tried to discipline him. And discipline is a good thing. Let me tell you children, if your parents don't discipline you, they don't love you. They're letting you rule the roost. And you'll be a miserable person, as we'll see later. But they tried to discipline him. But, you know, after a while, uh, even uh, uh, if somebody says they're going to do what they're going to do, that's what they do, and that's what he did. And so his father wisely gave him over. Gave him over to all the things that he wanted to do that he used to rebel against. He said, well, you know, son, if that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to do. And he rebelled, and he rebelled greatly. And uh, so I asked him, I said, what turned you around? And he said, well, two things. One is I realized that my father really loved me. I, I've, I never doubted that. I, in fact, I tested his love, to be honest with you. But he said, uh, I think really what brought me around, though, is not only that, but the fact that my father gave me over to the desires that I wanted and longed for, and those desires began to make me inhuman. Uh, my abuse of other women... Uh, my abuse of alcohol, my abuse of uh, my freedoms, and my freedoms became the bondage. Well, this is exactly what our text is about this morning. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the wrath of God. But God in His graciousness and His kindness, I'm telling you, He's very long-suffering. For some of you children, you know He's been long-suffering with you because you're thinking, I think I want to do what that guy did. And you need to listen to me if you're thinking about that. If you're like 13, 14 years old and you're thinking, you know what, I want to do my own thing. You know what? God might let you give you over uh, to do that. And, uh, and when he does uh, do that, uh, 
the, the very desires, and, and we'll see later the great word for desires, hyper-desire, an over-desire for something, ends up being your bondage. We're going to have to look at that for the next two weeks. But, uh, but Oscar Wilde said this, when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. And I saw that quote in several commentaries in the tape. When the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. So here's my question to you this morning and every single one of you today. What are you giving over to? What are you giving to? Is it the gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Christ? And, uh, and what, what, what that means is not that you're a wonderful, fine person. What that means is you're putting sin to death. You know what? You're more concerned about your sin than your spouse's sin. What it means is that you give. You give sacrificially. I, I think if you don't give, I don't think... Uh, something's de- definitely wrong. You need to call me and let's talk about that. Um, are, are you being given over to service to Christ or and seeing the beauty of who he is and that you're more excited about the gospel 20 years later than you were when you first became Christian? Or have you kind of just over the years just kind of slidden in the... Eh. Or are you being given over to your desires? Because you see, the, you're, you're given to one or the other. If you're given over to your desires, you're being given over to created things and you become like the devil. You see? Selfish. I won't mind. You become prideful, arrogant. You begin to look down at other people because your desire is to be greater than other people, to be the smartest, to be the elite. And so, you know what? You end up, God says, okay, well, you don't want to be humble. I'll just give you over to, to that. Or whatever the thing it is, you see. So, so you're either becoming like God Almighty who, of course, reveals himself in Jesus and who's this wonderful person of compassion and love and mercy who sacrificed, who gave. That's what it means to be human, right? We know what it means to be human as Christians. That's exactly what it means. How does a secular person know what it means to be human? You're taught to self-actualize. You're taught to live your own life, to do what you want to do. And, of course, you end up buying into this uh, false teaching, this uh, rampant upon our college campuses, and you end up, you're here today, and you're a college student, and you're a freshman, and you've been here a month, and you've already screwed things up so royally. And, 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 and so God is giving you over to do what you want to do. So here's, here's the proposition, and then we'll, we'll look at a few things, uh, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Uh, if we do not acknowledge God as our creator and redeemer, His wrath is revealed, his wrath is revealed by giving you over to your desire. If you're 10 years old, 12 years old, 50 years old, 75 years old. And of course, if you're older, you know that, right? You kind of know that you've been been given over to family life or having someone. Or you're given over to these desires that when you get in there, you find out that they just completely deceive you and they trap you. And we're going to see how that works its way out. But so there's the proposition. So here's the three points uh, that I want us to look at. First off, uh, uh, God's wrath defined. Uh, we looked at it last week. We're going to take a few more minutes to look at it in case you're visiting. And then I want us to see why there's God's wrath. Why, why does he give you over? And then finally, I want us to see how God's wrath is revealed, which is being given over. So God's wrath defined. Romans uh, 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Do you believe that? Is that Paul or is that the word of God? I, I think Paul is an apostle. He's writing the words of God. 
Now, last week we said that uh, in our churches today, we don't like to talk about wrath. We feel a little bit, uh, little bit uh, you know, I brought my friend today and you're talking about wrath. Can't you talk about something other than wrath? Right? And, uh, and we said that in our churches today, and, and, and this can be very good because I certainly know I want to uh, preach to felt needs, but a lot of preaching is toward felt needs. Needs of loneliness and inadequacy. And what do I do about my marriage? And how does the scripture apply to these things? And I think that's very important. However, the, the, the theory is you're, the preacher is trying to connect with the hearer. The listener. But the real goal of the scripture of the preacher is to connect the hearer with who God is. And throughout the scripture, God would say, you know, your felt needs could very well be the things that you desire. And they keep you from your real need which is to escape the curse and wrath of God. I mean, why is there a cross? Why, why did Jesus come? So that you could have a better family life? Well, that would be a secondary thing. But you know, you can go throughout the history of the church, even among baptized people, uh, that uh, decide that they don't want to believe this. And so the, the purpose uh, of preaching is to connect the hearer with God and, and, but you're not connected with God if His wrath is on you. So then we have to ask ourselves, uh, what, you know, what is wrath? We talked about this last week. Now, if you're visiting the, for today for the first time, we usually think of wrath in terms of somebody flying off the handle, right? That, that's what we do. That's what I do. You ever do that? You just get mad and your wrath rises and you say things you shouldn't say. And you go, okay, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, man, that's not good. Okay? Or, or some of y'all have experienced that. I've, I've talked to some of y'all who've had moms and dads or maybe a dad who was an alcoholic and he abused you. Uh, it's very hard for some of y'all to have a concept of God as a father. You get the Jesus thing, but not the father because your view of a father is somebody's flying off the handle. And by the way, if you're a father who flies off the handle, then the scripture really has something to say to you. You've really screwed up. Because you see, our children need to have the security uh, that, that, uh, that our anger is predictable. Our wrath is predictable. It's not something that it's one day this way and one day the other, but that's how a lot of people think uh, about God. But God is not a human. So there's nothing inside of God that brings out the wrath like it brings it out of us, like our insecurities. Or if you corner me and say, Hal, I don't really like this about so-and-so, and then all of a sudden you get defensive. Why? Because you're not God. You're finite, and, and, uh, and you're trying to find your own identity and your own security, so you get angry because that identity is challenged. Well, God knows who He is, okay? He does not have an identity crisis. And so the only reason that God gets angry is because sin is personal against His character and against other people. That's why you have two tables of the law. Love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Love your neighbors yourself. The two tables of the law. But you see, God's wrath, as uh, John Murray put it, is this. His wrath is his holy hostility to evil. His refusal to condone it or come to terms with it, his just judgment upon it. In other words, it's always only directed at evil. It's not, it's not because uh, somebody did something to hurt him or wound him. His wrath is against that which opposes what is good. And therefore, God's wrath is, it's, uh, it is predictable. Let's, I mean, find out the things that, that, uh, that displease him. Because usually what displeases him is you and, and, and me or I, you and 
Y'all fill in the blank. I can't remember how I did the sentence. Uh, because we've wounded somebody. There's nobody in here who hadn't wounded somebody. I've wounded people. As your pastor, I've hurt people. I, it, 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 it devastates me that I hurt people, you see. But, but the fact of the matter is, the real sin is not wickedness, but godlessness. He says that wrath is being revealed against all wickedness and godlessness. Wickedness is the second table of the law. We do things that are wicked against each other. If you don't think that you've ever done something that's wicked, just go ask somebody close to you. But the real sin is godlessness. And what does godlessness mean? Why is there wrath against godlessness? Well, it is, it is, it is um, the priority decision for a person to live for themselves rather than God. Okay? Who do you live for? I mean, it's, do you live for the risen Christ? You've crucified with Christ and life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you're a law student or if you're a, or if you're a dental student or an undergraduate student or if you're in business or you're a professor, who are you doing it for? Or if you're a mom or if you're a dad or if you're in ministry, who do you do it for? Are you doing it, you know, because, you know what, I want to I, I, I surrender myself to you. Or do you do all those things because of the benefits that you get? You know, the, the upside and downside of being a pastor is the downside is you get, you know, criticized. The, the upside is you get stroked. But why do you do it? Are you, if you're doing it because you're afraid to get criticized or because you want to get the strokes, then, you know, that's godlessness. So I'm going to ask you if you're not a Christian, and you know kind of down deep you're really not a Christian, who do you live your life for? And you see, the wrath of God is being revealed against those who say, my will be done. My name be hallowed. My name be glorified. And that's why the Lord's Prayer is so important. It's when you say every Sunday. You ever think about it? So th- that's, a, that's kind of a definition of wrath. I mean, God is never surprised by what we do. You know, uh, I, I say this often when I do new members class and we talk about who God is. You know, he never flies off because, he, because when we come home, you know, we're all excited about coming home and, and, uh, and we come, come to the house and rather than having peace, there's, there's not peace. And so you're frustrated because you had an expectation. Well, God always knows what's on the other side of the door. He always knows. So his wrath doesn't go up or down. His love doesn't go up or down. Nothing of God goes up or down because he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And therefore, God is always consistent in who he is. All right, so that's God's wrath defined. Uh, let's, uh, let's look at God's wrath explained. I mean, why is there wrath? You might say, uh, you might say wow, okay, uh, I, I, if there's a God and, and he's personal, I can understand uh, that I would want him to be a just God. And the idea of him being a merciful God... Uh, it, it's good. I like that idea that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to be merciful to me. I mean, if I believe that, will I be saved? And yet, the main question I get, and the one that you probably are asking, well, what about those people who haven't heard this? What about the people in the jungles of Amazon, the Amazon that hadn't heard this? What about those people? Who, I mean, you're hearing it today. Now, I can tell you that's the most asked question I've had in my 25 years of being in the ministry. I've had many people say, you know, I really am close to being a Christian, but I really have this question, and I need to ask you this question. Well, usually my response uh, uh, goes something like this. I give, give two answers to that question. The first one is, um, uh, they, I, I say, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? You ever, have you ever used a girl for your own sexual pleasure? 
Have you ever uh, uh, promoted your own way at the gospel and slander somebody else? And I, I throw a couple other choice sins that are out there. And they say, well, well yes. And my response is, well, well, number one, why are you concerned about them? Because you've heard. And is it possible that the reason you're really asking that question is because you're still wanting to make some argument that God is not able to judge you for your own sin because of those people out there? Maybe you made that argument. Well, what about those you've never heard? Well, my question to you would be, what about you? You have heard. Many of you have been hearing it over and over and over again. You've grown up in the South. You've heard the gospel, and yet it's never really strangely warmed your heart, and you still want to, I probably, live your own life, which is called godlessness. But then my second question to them is, uh, uh, well, let's just suppose that uh, you're going down Broad Street here, and you're doing 55, and if you get down there at the bottom of the hill, I'll tell you it's 35, I think. And, uh, and so, but you're, you're not from Athens. You came here from Ohio. And you're riding down Broad Street, it's four-lane highway, you're doing 55, cruise along, and uh, all of a sudden you see the blue lights, and the cop stops you, and he says, uh, I'm sorry, but you were speeding. And you go, really? And uh, you, you, he says, yes, you know, the, the speed limit's 35, but you were doing 55. And he were to say, well, you know, I'm from Ohio, I didn't know that. Is he going to go, well, that's okay, no problem. Well, if it's that true with man's law, how much more true is it of God's law, God's holy standard that cannot be broken, which people actually do know? And so my question is often within, why is the assumption that people have not heard? That's a false assumption. And where do we see that? We see that in our text. He tells you, and he's directing this first to the Gentiles, not the Jews, not those who've had a particular revelation but what we call general revelation. Notice what he says. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made so that men are without excuse. Everybody knows. They know who God is. But our text says that if you're not a Christian today, and sometimes even if you're a Christian, you sit on the truth, you suppress it. You know why you suppress that truth, that what we call general revelation, is because it's going to, if it's true, God is going to necessarily ask you to acknowledge his reign. That is that uh, they suppress what is clearly revealed. He says, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. What can be known about God is plain to them. Say, for instance, if you're here and you're 15, 16 years old and you're just kind of sitting here in church and you're not really listening. And I, you know, and I don't, it doesn't, doesn't bother, I mean, I said, I said it doesn't bother me. It doesn't hurt my feelings. But, but down deep, you know, you're hearing these words. You're hearing, I mean, you're hearing God uh, hearing the preaching of the word, that's, that's special revelation. But even if, you, even if a person has never heard this, he walks outside in Psalm 19, seven, uh, Psalm, 19, uh, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Day and night they pour forth speech. But what do people do? They suppress it. You know why? Because you don't want God to be too personal. 
You don't even be too personal, especially if you're, a, if you're not a Christian, if you're an unbeliever. And we'll see it in just a moment. So God has revealed himself in general revelation. But special revelation, God has also revealed himself even to Gentiles in special revelation. And special revelation is when God intervenes in space and time and the people saw Jesus. And we have this Bible that tells us about who God is. You have that in your hand. But let me tell you, God showed his special revelation even to the Egyptians. Because when God comes and he calls out Israel, an Egyptian could become an Israelite and go, I see God. God is in, in the life of Israel. They could be circumcised. They could become part of the people of Israel. But they didn't. And the Pharaoh would see God do some amazing things. You, you ever read about that? And, and, and it says that God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh and he, and he wouldn't believe. And he wouldn't believe. And then, and then at the very end, right at the very end uh, of that, the, the Exodus where the Egyptians go in, uh, when Moses crosses the Red Sea, it says that God hardened the hearts of all the Egyptians so that they went in. So I mean, here they see God do all these things. And now imagine you're the last little chariot guy, right? And uh, Pharaoh's way up there in front of you, and he's angry. And, uh, and also other guys start going inside the Red Sea. Do you think you might go, whoa, Nelly? You might pull back on that, right? It seems rational, doesn't it? But you see, even it's God's special revelation, if God gives people over, even anger can override what is rational. And people do what's irrational. And maybe you this morning are doing exactly what is irrational to what is the clear, plain teaching of the Scripture. And God in His grace has brought you here to hear the preaching of the Word of God, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet you still want to hold back because you'll come later. As though you decide on when you're going to be saved versus God. So what is the net end result? And we'll look at this next week of this. <clears throat> well, the net end result is uh, <clears throat> God gives people over. God, uh, God's wrath revealed. Therefore, it says God gives them over. What does he give them over to? And we'll look at this next week, but I want to close on this. It says he gives them over to their hyper-desires, is the Greek. Like lust. Some, some might be really caught up in pornography. That's what you wanted. And you're given over to it. Now it's got you. It's got you hooked. Or maybe you're a woman who wants to be desired. And so your whole goal in life is to glorify yourself. You want everybody looking at you. You're not submitting your body to God. You're submitting your body to yourself. And therefore, uh, <clears throat> you have eating disorders now. You have these problems in your, in, in, because, you know, that girl is prettier than I am. And then your whole life begins to be revolved around the very thing. God says, okay, if you want to be beautiful, and, instead of knowing the beauty of Jesus Christ, I'll give you over to your beauty. And you know what? You end up being consumed with your own body. And it becomes bondage to you. That's why some of you don't give money. You know why you don't give money? Because your God is money. Because it allows you to control your life. You don't believe God's in control. And therefore, you're given over and you don't tithe. And you don't give money to Redeemer. Or you don't give money to anything. Or if you do, you decide on who you're going to give it to. Versus, well, you know, Lord, I'm going to submit to... And, and, and the end result is you end up being consumed with money and consumed with security. Now, we're going to look at this again next week. But where's the gospel here as we come to the Lord's table? 
Well, guess who was given over? Jesus. Jesus was given over to the Father's will to come to this planet for people who are absolutely helpless. Everybody in here, there's nothing you can do about these desires because you're bound by your flesh. But Jesus Christ comes. He loved His Father and He loved us. And He was given over. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done. And rather than giving His flesh for His own pleasure, He gives His flesh to the cross so that our sin might be broken. So that you might be reconnected with the living God. The God who is holy and righteous and just and will bring His just wrath against sin because He is good. But He's also good in His mercy that He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Do you know this God? Is the reality of Him setting you free, moving you more and more toward crucifying your flesh and living for Christ and putting sin to death and living for the world to come? Or are you professing to know God but in all, when it really gets right down to it, your whole life is hooked by all the created stuff. Then repent and come to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, we are so grateful for Jesus Christ. I know even in my own life this week as I see sin... I, I thank you.